Welcome to the Bioinformatics CRO podcast. My name is Grace Ratley, and today I'm joined by Dr. Saroja Vuraganti. Saroja is Associate Professor of Nutrition at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, and her lab studies nutrigenomics and nutrigenetics. Welcome, Saroja. Thank you, Grace. I'm happy to be here. We're happy to have you. So can you give us a little bit of a description about what your lab does? Yeah. As you mentioned, we do study nutrigenomics and nutrigenetics. We are trying to understand how genes affect how our nutrients are metabolized, how they are broken up in the body, and how genes affect that process, which is termed as nutrigenetics. The other side, we have how uh, nutrients affect how the genes are expressed, which is the nutrigenomics part. So we are trying to understand how these nutrients and genes interact in relation to subsequent disease risk. So my my lab's interest mainly is purine metabolic pathway. So we are trying to understand how the enzymes work, how, how genes affect those enzymes, how the nutrients affect this pathway, and how it subsequently affects various diseases, mainly studying neurodegenerative diseases, as well as obesity, how it affects those. Awesome. So can you give us a little bit of an idea of how what we eat changes purine metabolism? So a key example I can give you is fructose. In normal levels, it's fine. The problem comes up when you have too much. And then not many people know, but it releases a molecule which can further convert into uric acid, which is a purine. And uric acid, again, in normal levels is an antioxidant. It's good for your body, uh, which is an end product of purine metabolism. But I'm talking about all this when it is too much. in. Like you don't realize you drink, you eat fructose-containing drinks and food, and we don't realize how much we are taking it in. And it causes more production of uric acid, which if it is too much in the body, it can turn into a pro-oxidant. And cause harmful effects. So fructose is only one of them though, but you have other products like um, any purines, alcohol, everything in moderation is okay. I'm talking, when I talk about these foods, I'm talking about when it is too much. So that's why we always insist on moderation and balance in your foods, right? Yeah. And notoriously, high fructose corn syrup is in high concentration in sodas and, and such. And, and for our listeners, purines are things like adenine and guanine. So the nucleotides that build our DNA and, and our RNA. Exactly. Yeah. And most of the organ meats and all contain high purines. But if you see, purines themselves only contribute 10% to the total purine content. The other products like fructose and all also contribute quite a bit. So why did you get into nutrigenomics? So I've always done nutrition. Back in India, I had done my my bachelor's in foods and nutrition, which is called. And then I did a dietetics course there. Then I moved to U.S. for my husband's job. And after several years of gap, I started thinking of going back to school. And the only thing I knew was nutrition. So we were in Austin at that time. So I went to UT Austin. I thought I'll do master's, but eventually it became a PhD. So I did my nutritional sciences in, uh, I mean, PhD in nutritional sciences. We did a study there where we were trying to give an ideal diet to some women. And I saw that they were all similar age groups, similar weight, all were women. So sex-wise, they were all same. Still, there was so much difference in how they responded. 
and I started getting interested into genetics, like how genetics plays a role. So I started looking at various ethnic groups as well as within ethnic groups also how genetic variation can affect how people respond to diet. One of my committee members was Dr. Kamuzi, who is an expert in genetics of obesity. When I finished my PhD, I went to him and said, I would like to do a postdoctoral fellowship with you and understand more about genetics. And he was nice enough to, without any genetics background, he agreed to let me do his postdoctoral fellowship with him. So that was when I started getting interested, like how our genes affect how our nutrients are metabolized or how our nutrients affect the way genes are expressed. Yeah, I, I find that very exciting. I know that within nutrition research, it's very common for people to say something is good for you or bad for you, like, but there's like a lot of variation within the population. Yeah, based on a person's gender and race, ethnicity, and there are so many other factors. We haven't even touched the tip of the iceberg, you know? Yeah, it, it's a very complicated field. So you study nutritional science. But your initial degree was in dietetics. Can you give us a little bit of a difference between that? See, that's what happened, right? When I was doing my dietetics, I did study the biology behind it, how the metabolism happens and how you give a diet plan to people. But there's so many complexities involved in it, like the genetics. Or now we know a lot about microbiome. And there's so many other things involved. Unless you have a very deep understanding, I feel like it's difficult to convince people to change their diet or even one nutrient. In dietetics, we do understand metabolism and all, but I didn't feel that it was comprehensive. I think dietetics plus nutritional sciences is a very good combination, but I don't know how many people can do both. What do you think is needed for us to move nutritional science into applications and into something that people can actually act upon in their day-to-day -day lives? I think as we are closing into this precision nutrition, can we precisely say who needs how much food? We are working towards it, but uh, we are not there yet, of course, uh, because we need to understand all the genetic variation. Also, we have been only studying single nucleotide polymorphisms in detail, but there is so much other genetic variation, structural variation, which we haven't even touched in detail, like copy number variation and many others. And then we haven't even looked at gene expression. So that's what our lab also does. Like we initially looked at individual nutrients, how they affect gene expression. Now we are looking at combinations like fructose plus caffeine, fructose plus uh, salt. And then we plan to do like a meal. And then we need to understand how are we going to translate that to a lay person. If I tell a person that, oh, you have these copy number variants, you need to eat this, the person may not understand anything. So if you are able to convince them that, you know, you have this susceptibility and maybe if you start early to eat properly or do physical activity, you may either delay the onset of a certain disease or may completely prevent it. Why even go for treatments if you can prevent it? Basically, I think the way we part the information, that becomes very important. Yeah. And, and so how do you think people are going to get access to this information? Do you think this information will come from screening when people are children or from kids like 23andMe or, or something along those lines? So I like the system of Iceland. 
where they sequence every person, which is okay for a small country, but not for United States. So it's maybe very difficult, but maybe do something like that. Actually, I would like it to be like when, you know, you go to a doctor, they take a blood sample and send it to a lab for lipids or something, lipid panel or something. Similarly, if they can draw blood and send it to our lab or some genetic lab and they can immediately have a set of genotypes which can they can do it in a day or two, genotype them and send back their data and they say, oh, you have this certain genetic variance. So maybe you should follow this, this, this or something like that. That would be ideal. We are working towards it and I'm quite optimistic that we will be there soon i don't know when but soon the problem is that we ourselves don't know what is the role of lot of genetic variants so i think first we need to dive deeper into it understand it and then come up with a consensus set of like let's say these uh, genetic variants are associated with dyslipidemia or these are with diabetes mellitus or something like that now we have also complexity with microbiome and other factors. So it's not easy, but at least if we can take a 40% of it or 50% of it, it'll, it helps, right? Definitely. I, that's one of the reasons why I really enjoy learning about nutrition. It's, it's that complexity and figuring out how much of what we look like or, or how healthy we are can we attribute to our lifestyle or our genetics or our microbiome or, you know, I, I feel like nutrition gets kind of a bad rep because it's so hard to study. It's so complex. And I feel like every study is, um, has different criteria and it's really difficult to, to, you know, look across them and see the same result every time. Yeah, I agree. And also another thing which adds to complexities, we really don't have good uh, ways of measuring the diet. So all we are doing is uh, food frequency questionnaires and diet recalls, which is so much uh, focused on memory. I don't remember what I ate yesterday half the time. <laughs> so I have to think so much, even if I remember how much did I eat. And it takes a long time. Like I've used the OneFit app or something like that. You know, you sit down and it takes like 15 to 20 minutes to log everything that you ate. Like I ate five almonds, you know, it's not easy. So when we do studies, I feel bad for the participants because it's not easy. I, I wish we can find something more objective. So a lot of people depend on metabolomics. Metabolomics is a good surrogate, but we need something more. Yeah. And for our listeners, can you give us a, a little bit about what metabolomics is? Metabolomics is study of the final breakdown products of metabolism. So like proteins, amino acids will be your metabolites. For carbohydrates, you have monosaccharides like fructose, glucose. And then for fats, there'll be fatty acids, different types of fatty acids. But remember that these have all been metabolized and what we have in the blood is what we find. So there'll be so much variation in it. But over a period, maybe if a, some person's diet is steady over a period, maybe metabolomics is actually a good measure till we find something better for dietary intake. For now, they are very good markers because we don't have anything else. So we should use that in combination of what you have collected from dietary intake, recalls, and food frequency questionnaire. What other scientific tools have been really key to this growth of the field of nutrigenomics and nutrigenetics? 
mainly uh, like sequencing is pretty much within our reach earlier it was very expensive and all sequencing is getting very cheap so soon i think whole genome sequencing will be very cost effective so i think that is a major thing and then now we can sequence microbiome so that is also very thing and then metabolomics is getting very cheap so you can do untargeted metabolomics like if you want to understand general metabolomics it's like whole genome sequencing you do every metabolite measure every metabolite and see or if you are only interested in a pathway like myself we go for targeted let's look at what is happening in that field yeah but we do need some other like enzyme chemistries hplcs or and all to add to it yeah i think uh, we are in a much better position now with lot of nutrition related ones and genetics what sort of simplified advice could you give to someone who's looking to improve their health uh, based on genetics i don't know whether we can advise so right now i will just say like we always say do moderation don't stop anything completely especially macronutrients don't stop stop completely carbohydrates or fats or protein and the other thing is of course portion control which we always been telling even if there's so much on the plate try not to eat the whole thing you know try to control your portion for now and lot of people have shown that mediterranean diet is actually very good for cardiovascular health and you have dash diets you have specific diets and all you know you don't have to do major changes like in one of your ingredients you can reduce it like salt a little bit less or oil a little bit less so slowly and still make a difference so why not we are just trying to see how we can keep healthy people healthy <laughs> you know not after they have got hypertension and i'm will telling that oh follow dash diet or it's good for them to follow that diet anyway <laughs> you know yeah and i feel like a lot of people get their health information from doctors who you know are always on the other end people go to the doctor when they have something wrong and not so much for prevention exactly and doctors also realizing the importance of nutrition now and they also refer quite a few people to dietitians but i agree with you that it this is after something has happened not everybody but at least people who are genetically susceptible to certain disease maybe they can start early exercising more or eat in a better way or something like that so that they can at least delay and improve their health quality of life you know I like this idea of potentially using nutrition as like a medicine as like a therapeutic or as a preventative thing. Yeah, we at NRI actually I'm at Nutrition Research Institute. We are big on using food as medicine or food as preventive medicine or something like that. So if we can do it with food, why go for treatment? Right. For some reason, it's very difficult to convince people that investing in your health early or investing time and effort into nutrition early can really save so much money and trouble down the line why do you think that is so there's something like my son used to say when he was really small that why is healthy food always so like non good tasting or you know or why is tasty food always not healthy <laughs> like if we deep fry something they are very tasty all the time if the same thing is baked it is good but it's not the same level 
So I think how we present it, how it tastes, smells, it makes a lot of difference on what people eat. That is why Dr. Ammerman, he does something called uh, culinary medicine. You know, those uh, biscuits are there, Bajangles biscuits. She made uh, like those type of biscuits, but with healthy oils and all, you know. So I, I really like what she does. It's She's trying to present similar food, but in a healthier version. So if people take to that, if it smell, taste, and everything is good, then I think people will accept it. It's just that they want to enjoy food. You know, food is something which is like a topic for meetings and, you know, like parties, culturally, festivals. Everybody wants to be healthy. Who doesn't want to be healthy? But they will also want to enjoy <laughs> food. So I think, uh, yeah, culinary medicine has an important role to play. And secondly, I think the time for preparation, we did a study when I was doing my PhD several years ago, that was supposed to be a weight loss study. And the mothers ended up, they were all low income mothers. Most of them ended up gaining weight. We were trying to teach them all nice exercises and nice recipes and all. But one lady told me that we work three jobs a day. I have to run from one job to other. Where do I have time to do your exercises or prepare the food? I just pick up something from McDonald's and take it home. I need to get something for my children. So we have to have foods which taste similar and they have to be affordable to people and should not take too long to prepare because a lot of people don't have time to prepare them. Once they are not well or once they get some disease, they have no choice. They have to do it. So I wish they can do in the earlier part, but nobody will give you some time off because I'm healthy. I want to take some time off. It will be counted as vacation or <laughs> they'll not give you time off. If I say I'm not well, I want to take one day off. People say, okay, take off a sick leave. But I say I'm healthy, but I still want to take one day off. People will frown on that person why they want to take off, right? It's my this thing that we should also invest in healthy people too, so that they stay healthy. Perhaps even more so investing in healthy people. Yeah, yeah. I know that we have to treat people who are not well. I agree totally. But we also have to invest in healthy people because we don't want them to move to the dark side or something like that. So, yeah, I think we need to do a lot more work. But I'm so excited in, to be in this field because this is something we can make a difference, you know, like you're born with certain genes, you can't do anything about it. But how they're expressed is in our hands and how what we eat, like lifestyle factors are in our hands. Exactly. And and I think you've brought up an interesting point with the low-income women gaining weight and people who are in lower incomes tend to be at higher risk for a lot of these diseases and for having poorer diets. And it kind of gets into like this accessibility aspect. Do you think that nutrigenomics will be accessible to people who are in lower income areas or who are diverse in ethnicity or race? Initially, genetic databases were not really representative of various groups. But now there are a lot of groups, especially consortiums, which are trying to get more of the genetic databases updated with ethnically, like, you know, different populations. So most of the studies have been done in Caucasians because it, the study started in Europe and US. So that is how it happened. But now we are trying to push more representation from African-Americans, Asians and um, Hispanics. 
So yeah, there is a push, but it will take some time for accessibility. First, we need wide representation in genetic databases. Secondly, we need wide representation in studies so that we know more about each population. Like I'm studying with about a genetically isolated homogeneous population, which hardly people know about them. And they are very hesitant to participate in these type of studies. So we need more representation. Like uh, I'm originally from Asia. I'm from India originally, but all Asians are clubbed together. But there's so much diversity within Asians. Similarly, Latin Americans. What does that mean? There is so much genetic diversity. Even within Africa, there is so much genetic diversity. So we need representation from everybody. So once we have that, then our genetic databases will be very rich and diverse. I know we want to do a personalized nutrition someday, but at least right now our focus is a genetically susceptible group. So if we can divide it into groups or ethnic level, that will be an intermediate step before we actually go to the personalized nutrition. So how did you get interested in nutrition? Initially, my interest was all biochemistry. And then I had a subject called food science. And I I took that and I was very interested in how you can prepare different foods, different types of foods. And each food has like the way you prepare it. It can taste different. And this my first experiment, how you whisk an egg, you know. So if you use different whisks, It'll, you'll get a different types of forms. It was like simplest one, but, you know, and I was so fascinated. And I started looking into deeper into it, like what is involved in an egg. And then I slowly, slowly, I got interested in nutrition. And nutrition is, after all, biochemistry, right? Biochemistry and nutrition are so closely linked. So that's how I got interested in nutrition. And then I, I thought, oh, this is so cool. And I went into dietetics. But soon I realized that I can't uh, advise people unless I know more about this subject, you know. Other thing I realized that foods are culturally so deep-rooted in communities, it's so difficult for us to ask them to change. So I thought, okay, why not go get in deeper into it and understand more. So when we moved to US, I did not want to pursue dietetics. I wanted to go into research because I wanted to understand more about each nutrient, combination of nutrients. And so that's how I moved to nutrition. But they're all so closely interrelated. So it's just, you can say nutritional biochemistry. That was what I was interested in. Yeah, that's what I always tell people I, I majored in because then I get less questions about French fries and things, you know. Yeah, so nutritional biochemistry, and then I got into nutritional genetics, you can say that. (laughs) And then when the the group which I was working with, postdoctoral fellow, they were working with several groups, like Dr. Kamuzi, like uh, we had data sets from Hispanics, Arabs, like Omanis, Arabs, uh, Alaskan natives, and American Indians. So I was like, uh, I had so much opportunity to look at each ethnicity and really, really got interested into minority research and, you know, diversity research. And all. so I have tried to continue that work at NRI or UNC. It's very important work. And I, I'm glad that there are people like you out there studying these things and, and helping not just the average white American, but but the average American and, and, you know, the average person in the world. You know, it's not just an American. Yeah, anybody like white or anybody. We we need to keep healthy people healthy and uh, see that they don't progress to something. And 
those who have already progressed have a disease or something, keep them there and not make them progress to like become worse or something, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. Do you do a lot of cooking at home? Uh, I used to. Nowadays, I don't have much time, but I do. And uh, I usually very little oil. When my husband prepares the food, seem much much more tasty <laughs> because he uses like you know traditional but uh, my foods don't are not that tasty so I keep telling him and then I saw how much oil he uses I'm like okay I'm not watching when you're cooking <laughs> I can't <laughs> yeah but it's just not to know how much is in there <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 but that's why I was telling you right that we need to start thinking of how we can prepare the same type of food with less oil which is, I don't know how, <laughs> but we have done so much research. We have done so many discoveries. I'm sure we can find something. <laughs> right. I always come back to that. Yes, I know what's good for me, but I also know what's really tasty. It's, <laughs> it's so hard. So, yeah, it is hard. So last question to young scientists or scientists who are interested in exploring the topic of nutrition. What advice would you give to these people? I'm very passionate about nutrition, so I would encourage people to come in. And also, it, it may apply to any field, actually. Don't expect overnight results. This will resist research, of course. It will take some time. But uh, what is interesting is that you can make a difference. You can figure out, you know, changes and all. So I think uh, I would love to have more people working in nutrition. There's so much complexity in this field. Just don't think that it's all about cooking or anything. So just remember that we are like engineers <laughs> and then doctors are more like mechanics. <laughs> so someone told me this, like, and I was explaining to them this pathway and also they told me that, oh, you are like an engineer and doctor is like mechanic. So yeah, get deeper into it. And uh, really, you have to enjoy the field to be working in this. Make this field your own and just deep, deep into it and enjoy because not only that there is a lot of complexity in the lot of scope, but this is a field where you can make a difference sooner than later, actually, compared to other fields. And luckily, most of them do not have side effects if taken in moderation, right? Nutrition that way is... It's like high benefit, low cost. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And some things I'm very quite excited about, the way different uh, ethnic groups have cultures, their own cultural foods, and they all have some scientific significance, even though maybe their ancestors know or did not know about science we don't know but the combinations of a tortilla and beans we, there is a variation in India too and everywhere there is certain variation of that it makes so much dif uh, difference because the together they have essential all essential amino acids so at that time I don't know if they knew science or not but that's an ideal combination you know tortilla uh, wheat flour plus beans you know I'm really fascinated by looking at their cultural foods and how well they they have all the essential amino acids and they make such a good combination. There's so much more to learn in nutrition, not just uh, a biochemistry. Biochemistry is part of it, but culturally, socially, psychologically, there's so many aspects of nutrition. So there's so much to learn. So I encourage the students to come and choose whatever aspect they want to choose. 
they can choose a social aspect or cultural or genetic aspects which i am doing or microbiome aspect so there is like so much to learn and so much more to investigate so this is like a gold mine i agree well thank you so much for coming on our podcast saroja you have a wonderful perspective and so much knowledge and passion about nutrition and i hope that our listeners can take some of that away with them it's my pleasure it was not very nice talking to you